The JTAC Podcast, episode 67. Send it. I can do that. JTACs. Clearing it hot, making it rain, and bringing the boom boom. Hi all, welcome back to the podcast. I'm not going to take up too much of your time here at the beginning. I just want to say that we couldn't bring you anything on this platform if it wasn't for Nine Foot Night Killers um, and all the products that they sell um, and all the fitness programs and coffee, etc. that they put out. So go ahead, head over to 9fnk.life and uh, see if you can pick up something you like. Um, welcome everybody to episode 67 of the JTAP podcast and uh, someone from within the 9FNK family itself then on today. Mikey, appreciate you taking the time and sitting down with me. Yeah, I drive a dude. Um, Mikey, obviously we're getting to know each other pretty well, but anyone listening won't. So take us back to the very beginning. Where did you grow up? Where did you come from? What sort of life looked like? Be sort of through school before a recruiter got their teeth into you? Uh, yeah, so my Japanese dog and my family was in. Um, so for me, military military life was always um, knocking on the front door, if you will. Uh, but for me, I uh, grew up in the northeast uh, in a little mining town just outside of Durham, uh, famous for the steelworks called Concert. Yeah, going through school, uh, pretty, pretty shy kid, really. Um, didn't really say boo to goose, didn't do much. Um, I was actually a massive sort of computer nerd, a gaming geek, didn't really do fizz, didn't really do anything. Um, yeah, so school was pretty boring, really. Wasn't very academic either, you know. And then um, it came to came to leaving school. Um, my mum was like, oh, you're going to go to college and stuff like that. I was like, yeah. But my stepdad, he sort of like spun me all these stories about when he, his, his time in, when he was in the military. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. I want a piece of that. Um, so it came to crunch time. I literally finished school. And um, my, I remember sitting on this living room floor with, with all my GCSE results out. And my mum um, was like, what are you going to do now? It's like, I'm going to join the army. And she was like, all right, she went cool. And uh, then what are you going to join? Uh, I had uh, some power reg recruiting leaflets. So I went, it's going to join these guys. And she went, all right, okay, then cool. And she got up and went and walked off. So, so what do I do? And she went, the phone's over there. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, all right. So I rang the number and um, I remember being on the phone and uh, the recruiter picked up. He's like, yeah. And he said, um, I said, yeah, I want to join the army. And he's like, well, you ran, rang the fucking right number, aren't you? And uh, I was like, just went from there. Just went from there, really. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's when the recruiter sank his teeth into me, really. But um, yeah, so I had a lot of experience with the military life, with the immediate family being in and getting told about it. So it wasn't that much of a shrouded secret as it can be for some people who don't have a big military background. Then, um, yeah, I went through the recruiting process. Uh, the guy tried to change my mind from... Uh, parachute regiment to to engineers so you know I humoured him put it down as a second choice I went up to Glen Course um, at the time to do selection wasn't fit enough for the reg um, I needed you know sub 930 or something and I got just over so over 10 minutes or something like that for a mile and a half and they went you can either come back or you can join up now and I was like I was chomping at the bit to get away from home so I was like oh, I'll join now so I took my second choice which is the engineers 
joined the engineers in 2007, turned up to basic training on 28th of May. Um, went through training at uh, Army Training Regiment Litchfield, which subsequently shut down um, and changed to um, where all the medics go through now, I think, Litchfield. Um, yeah, and then from there, just, uh, I went on went on to do all my engineering stuff and uh, went to do a commando course, which I failed first time round, uh, VW don't find an exercise. Then I went to 6-1 Squadron EOD, um, deployed on Herrick 13 with them. Came back from that. Uh, I deployed to Bosnia in 2014. Uh, then I went on my commando course just before that, actually. Yeah, yeah, 2013. So I literally finished back end of the commando course, second time round. Got my green lid and then um, went to Bosnia in 2014, doing like EOD stuff. And then uh, I did a deployment to Pakistan, a short-term training team as well over that time, which was cool getting to work in uh, northern Pakistan, near the Pakistan-Afghan border. That was really cool. Um, and then from there, sort of took a 180, really. Uh, did my PTI course. And then 2019, I passed PT course selection. Uh, and then transferred into the PT course. So I've been in the Army 14 years now. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it took quite a race sort of off through your life there. But uh, when you went, to basic training and you obviously you'd heard all the stories about everything that that was going on in the military was it was it what had been sold to you or was that some form of like myth and then it was something very different considering you obviously you'd decided on one thing and then went another direction I mean you don't obviously end up on your commando course the day after training it's like there is a pathway to that what was the sort of driving force that took you from going being a young guy being taught how to iron his shirts and shave to like deciding from an being an engineer that you wanted to go and do the commando course um I'd, so oh my, my uncle was commando trained so um seeing that then you know seeing adverse for the raw marines pop up i was like well they you know my old man was like they're Royal Marines commandos. Um, I was like, oh, they look pretty cool. Um, but yeah, through training, like a like, um, few lads wanting to go and then just getting given adverts and leaflets and leaflets and then, you know, a few like little recruiting videos on what they do, you know, saying like, yeah, if you want to, you know, get out there, get on, get on ops and stuff, like commando power is the way to go. Especially at that time, 2007 was the height of, height of Iraq and Afghan. Everything was going on. So I was like, yeah, I want a bit of that. I'll go for the commando course. And I wanted to like better my green skills. And I knew that would do that. So, I mean, yeah, finishing training, um, I sort of shoved myself in that pipeline anyway. Um, I went to my combat engineering school, which had extra training on for guys wanting to go airborne and commando. So I jumped on that. Um, you know, there was like, again, more recruiting briefs as well for it. And then... You know, when I went to do my trade training, which is a uh, bricklayer and concreter, which is like nine months long, I jumped on the extra training for that as well. So it was really getting pushed and sold to me um, from from the day I walked through the door, really. And then, uh, yeah, then finished. When I finished my trade training after not nine long months, like my first unit was, uh, I was posted to um, two four. Well, it was five nine commando squadron then, but it just re-rolled to a regiment, so two four commando engineer regiment. 
got posted there to, to go on the course. So that was like my first unit. Like I volunteered to go there. They asked me volunteers to go. And I was like, yeah, I'll go. Yeah. So then turned up there to do to do the course. And it it did like put my really refine my um you know like basic infantry skills in the sense of just to operate properly in the field. Yeah. Do you think Obviously, like you said, bricklayer, et cetera, but ending up in EOD. So we'll sort of come back, we'll circle back to that one in a minute. But do you think that that being channeled, and again, obviously, I, will, I only know my interactions with the Royal Engineers from my own time, but do you think that that channels a certain kind of person? Does it down that way? Or do you think that's a big push consistently with everybody? Or do you think it just draws in a certain kind of mindset and then sort of like fertilizes that as you go down that pipeline in certain units yeah i think um it's it, they do plant the seed early so like you know i was 17 years old quite young and impressionable so you know the only other guys that i know wanted to go uh, i was the only one going wanted to go commando out my whole training into uh another lad that wanted to go airborne he was from Col colchester so he wanted that so he could be near home basically but uh, he found out the regiment wasn't close there, but he wanted to do that course anyway because everyone he knew from Colchester was paratrained. But yeah, it, they do plant that seed early and then, you know, they sort of coach you a little bit, mentor you, thinking that you can go down that pipeline. And then when you subsequently turn up to, you know, your next phases of training, if you are a fit and keen individual, or even if you're not fit, you're just keen, they'll nurture that. They'll nurture that and progress that. And, you know, then that's when the seed will really embed. But I think the, mind, the, the mindset has got to be there. You know, I know, uh, you know, lads thought about it, but then they went, nah, they saw like a bit of an easier time. Maybe he's getting posted to Germany at the time or, you know, going out boozing. It was like, this gets sucked into that way of life. So you have to be sort of, especially how long engineer training is um, in the sense of including your basic training, combat engineering and your um, trade training. You're in the training pipeline for a while, so you've got to be committed wanting to go down that route, which which I did stay dedicated to all the way through. Um, so, yeah, it does take you. It, they do sort of a bit of self-guided discovery on your mindset, whether you want to go that way or not. Yeah. Um so what, you, you come out of your trade training and you're saying, obviously, you, you know, you've been given a specific set of trades, but, and you're going to your first unit, unit which is commando, and, we'll, and obviously we'll circle back around to the second time you did commando training, more sort of more to talk about that. But what takes you from trade training, brand new guy in a unit to being EOD? Is that, is that a pathway you can do as an engineer or do you have to, re, have to promote up? Uh, it's a pathway you can do. So guys, so like I volunteered for command, the commando course, uh, other guys volunteered for EOD, uh, go that route. And so literally when we, the, when you finish your training, if you volunteer for specialist duties or tr trades, if you will, like that, you'll, you'll go off and do, you'll go off and do that straight out of the pipeline. So a couple of guys I did where I went for training with volunteered for EOD and went straight to EOD units and did okay. all the EOD training from private upwards. Uh, for me, because uh, basically because the regiment I was part of, 3-3 Engineer Regiment, I had a squadron deployed on every single Herrick from Fingal upwards, you know, 
from you know the day of 2001 that they landed in you know landed in Afghan and Iraq well 2003 for Iraq um, they've had an, a, a squadron deployed so they, their attrition rate with KIAs um, people leaving injuries as you know um, they needed you know influx, influx of fresh blood so when um, when obviously I was unfortunate on the commando course when you're getting posted out I was like right Roger they're in right you're going to an EOD squadron so I got farmed out to the EOD squadron and Literally, I landed on my feet in 2009 in that squadron and started doing getting all my EOD qualifications from a, from a sapper upwards. Yeah. Did you go back to did you go back to Herrick before that? Before you, as an EOD, before you went back to the commando course? Yeah, so I did uh, Herrick, Herrick 13 in um, 2010. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So obviously coming back off of that, I'm assuming in that time you've come back, you did you promote in between those times before you, you returned back to the course? Uh, yeah, so I did uh, my, so I got put on um, rear ops group when they first initially deployed um, and I did my, car, uh, my promotion carder in the early stages of 2010, so it was like June, July time. My squadron deployed in October 2010 um basically that we used all our battlefield casualty replacements from the squadron within the space of the first month i was the last one to go out as a replacement um so basically the guy i replaced um you know um he got killed by a sniper um so i went out and replaced him uh, and then did five and a half months out there um but yeah so the, the attrition rate was quite high at the time um so yeah, literally did in 2010, start of it, did my promotion carder, finished that, waited for promotion, deployed on Herrick, came back from Herrick, and literally had two weeks back in the UK. And then they had a rotation of the squadron that had just come back from Afghanistan would go out to train. Squadron going out on, on training the next guys going out on deployment for their PDT. Yeah. I think um I mean, obviously, for the, us that have been away and stuff, we understand like what the, the the continuous risks that the engineers are taking, and obviously how they highlight themselves in a patrol, uh, whether they like it or not. There's no way to not highlight yourself, if you know what I mean, because you're doing a job that tends to put you on the out on the edges of stuff because guys will find something, move away from it, and then all of a sudden this guy appears and starts poking with it. You know, if you're the enemy watching that, it's pretty obvious what that individuals about so i guess inside the military and i guess the term eod maybe or you know it is probably more prevalent but like i don't think in my opinion anyway um engineers are quite seen out this is specifically outside the military when you talk about like engineers and stuff like that they don't people don't realize which is kind of crazy the high attrition rates in that sort of trade group um even like i was super surprised about you know the guys who were expected to like build patrol bases and um put together you know platoon houses and stuff like that when they went and tried to put like reinforcements up and stuff like that how much fire they would attract yeah yeah and uh I guess EOD is the obvious one because, you know, the people, you know, people are like, well, they're going to go dispose with a, of, a, of a bomb. That that's that's the threat that they're taking on. But it's 
that is the threat that they're taking on. Don't get me wrong, but actually they're really good at that. That's the thing they're good at. So mm. nine times out of 10, I'm not saying people haven't had a bad, bad experience where an IED has gone off on them, but it's never really the, the stories that I have, it's never really the IED that they were dealing with that, that got them. You know what I mean? It was either a come on that got them in another way. Um, or they were, like you said, they were shot by a sniper because they were out on a, on a, a sort of like on their own. Or we had a story of a guy where he, it was a come on and he, he moved, he cleared the IEDs. And then the, subsequently there was, there was more than just that and things had been hidden. Um, and it was specifically designed, the come on was specifically designed to get the OD. Like when you yeah. went back, when you went back and traced everything, you were like, this wasn't for any of us. This was literally, so we would find that and send in the engineers to clear that. And because yeah. they'd been yeah. watching the way they worked, it was, it was a hundred percent made to get them. Yeah. Like a few, few of our lads on, on our Eric, like, yeah, you would know if it was like either from previous patrol reports or while they're out on the ground, like, you know, just through atmospherics and stuff, you know, when guys would go out and do the route clearance, they'll be obviously going about their route clearance the, the way that they've been trained. And then they'll be, you know, looking at it and going, well, hang on a fucking minute. Why is this all the way out here? When where are the only ones that come out here? They went, yeah, the no one, the, we all, we got to know pretty quick that they sit there and observe our TTPs and that, and how to, how to try and counteract that, which was, so it was like a, cat and mouse game in that sense but yeah i mean if, i know like if then a few lads have been unluckily caught out with just stuff that's aimed at like you know trying to take out like patrols and stuff like that and um, so one of our uh, uh first kias he got hit by a 60 kilo i think it was a 60 kilo um charge uh aimed at for a massive i think it was before i got out there i only got wind of it when i was at when they told us back at the squadron but yeah, he stepped just slightly out of the safe lane and he, he got malleted. But yeah, it's, it's sometimes I, I felt like it was luck of the draw in, in that sense. Like um, some of the team I was part of, uh, the number two, he was unfortunate. Both Herricks he's been on, he lost one in his team. Um, but yeah, he, he said like, he, I think he the sniper was targeting the number two, which was him. And he was unfortunate, like the uh, guy I replaced was unfortunate enough to get um, caught up in it rather than the number two, for example. But um, yeah, you are right. They do, they, they are pretty clever in who they want to target and how they want to go about getting those people exposed. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I, I don't want to disappear too far over on, on this one, but our radios look very different to everybody else's radios. And they learned that because of the type of person that was carrying that radio, you know, they would target you. And so like there'd be certain people in the patrol that would get shot at more often because of the type of radios that they were carrying or antennas. And it's interesting, like considering like the amount of like different packs and different antennas that are poking off of people's radios and, and equipment that they would learn. Because people like, oh, you're at the people you were fighting were stupid, right? Like cave dwellers. You're like, <laughs> no, they were super smart and they would like, they would take their time and they would observe and they would learn stuff to the point where they would even target our MFCs because they knew what type of antenna that the MFCs had on the radios and stuff. You know, it's like, oh, the JTAC has that. The MFC has that. Da, 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 you know what I mean? And and it was like, wow, you, these guys know exactly who they're going after. So 
we would try and cover that stuff up to try and avoid them targeting specific people. But there's only so much you can do of that. So kind of like leaping ahead then. So here's one for you. You went back on the commander course and you've been promoted. Do you think with the little a little extra maturity or whatever, looking back and had suffered a little bit in the desert, had suffered through some sort of like some training and stuff like that. Do you think that when you went back that you had a, it, what was it do you think that changed it the second time? Because I know for me on like when I went back and did certain um, evolutions, when I went back as a more mature person or someone who'd been promoted, that because I've been through some sort of suffering, it changed the way I looked at courses. Yeah, so having that experience under my belt and you know uh, operational experience, uh, and obviously doing promotion cards and stuff like that. Uh, when I came back and went back on the course, I sort of readjusted my attitude, and so it was like, go to your break, go to you can't, it's you can't go no more. Then then keep going till you actually till you physically break till someone till you break something and then they say you can't carry on no more so i went down with that attitude from the start and learned there was a marathon not a sprint in the sense that you know admin yourself look at your admin so like when i turned up for the day one week one of the be up so bear in mind this course for start to finish for engineers was like 16 weeks because of the conditioning courses that you do beforehand so I turned up day one, week one, I was like, right, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So I went down to be a little bit heavier, fit, like physiologically and stuff like that, than I should be. So I'd like growing room effectively. Um, and then I like had a rigid recovery regime throughout the whole course. And then like my, then looking back on it, when I had like a few briefs from like a, a brief from a, neuro, a really top end American neuroscientist while I was at training regimen. And they said, like, your brain at the age of 25 develops something called the executive system, which basically is uh, able to cancel out emotion so you can logically think about something. And now, when I went back on this course, I was approaching the age of 25, I was 24 at the time. So I was, like, looking back at it and having that lesson, it was, like, maybe I developed that executive system around about that time where I could cancel out the emotional side of stuff and think about it logically. Um, so I think that's what pulled me through having that little bit of maturity in that sense of going, you know, I just went down the attitude of failure, like failure is not an option now because I've, I've failed before. I know I can get to the, I know I can get to the end. So I was like, if I can get back to the, the point I came off last time, that's going to be the start of the course for me. That's stepping into the unknown. The rest of it, I know what's coming. Um, yeah. So I went down and, uh, I managed to get, I got to, I remember sitting there on uh, Final X. So we finished like the, the 12 mile insertion yon and then um, sitting on my Bergen waiting for like next, the next tasking, which I think was a heli tasking, I think. And um, I was like, I went, I went, lads, and I went, what? I went, I looked at my watch and went, this is the furthest I've ever got on the course. I don't know what the fuck happens now. And they all like started laughing because like everyone from day one week on the course had found out that I'd been on the, got that far on the course before were asking me what happens. I was like, no one can ask me questions anymore now because I don't know what the fuck happens now. <laughs> whatever happens, happens. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, considering you now did go to the end, what do you think the uh, the biggest myth outside of that community that people have about like that course or that community, specifically the commando element? Um. Probably like 
Yeah. I hear a lot saying, oh, you're going to be mega fit, which is not true. You don't. You just got to have a smart training regime beforehand um, and go down with an open mind and a good attitude in your pass. Uh, I think that that's the main one here of the course, going, oh, you're going to be mega fit. And it, and it, it, it is. Don't get injured. Have a good recovery pro- protocol and don't get injured in your pass. And just take every day as it comes. For like commando forces in the sense of like myths about them um, I haven't really heard many from people you know I mean probably getting oh you get piss wrapped all the time which is not true depends they use it as a tool depending on when when you do the course if you do a summer course they never get you wet because you want to get wet to cool down but in the winter course you don't want to get wet because fucking freezing so they get you wet more often in that sense um, yeah other than that there's it's, I think it's all laid bare. We're really with commando forces, to be perfectly honest, in that sense. Yeah, my the only thing I know about <laughs> this is like the only thing I know about the commando forces is like they have to have seven showers a day. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the like I remember being on the course and we're in the, uh, all showering after I think it was bottom field or something like that, and um, the color bo- color sergeant walks in. He's like, "Fuck no, this is the most pongos I've seen in the shower." <laughs> yeah, I exaggerate, but obviously the the um going sort of um sort of taking uh, another leap forward, we'll kind of talk about your move across to the PTI core. What was it that drove you into that? An argument with a with a PTI, to be perfectly honest, after the commander call. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so they, they came up with this. Uh, well, they, they, uh, here's a myth as well. They, they, the engineers came up with this myth that you had to run a nine thirty in boots or whatever. When I was like, all right, okay. When an RMBFT is like it's eleven thirty in boots, and I was like, where are you getting this from? You know. And then on the course, it's like we'll do a ten thirty in boots. Someone just said you got like you got to run nine thirty in boots or whatever or ten thirty. You know. I was like. Right, you just completely made up a standard here. So I had an argument with him over it and then um, led to fallings out and stuff like that. And, you know, for me, they turned t- t- and said, Joe, what? I can do a fucking better job than this guy. I'm going to go do my PTI course. Ruffled a lot of feathers doing it. Managed to get on my PTI course. And then, yeah, that completely changed the original trajectory that I had for myself. So, yeah, just from a, from one, one argument with someone's led me to the place and led me to here now. That's pretty cool. I like I like it when it's uh, something like that where you know just jumps in and and it bites you. What if you were to go back and speak to yourself? Obviously, knowing what you know now, which is obviously, I guess you'll start using some of the stuff that you've learned over the last few years, maybe in in your answer. But if you went back and spoke to the young version of yourself, you know, starting basic training, and you could give yourself sort of like three pieces of advice like not the kind of stuff that's like oh well you're going to be taught this like don't worry about that because you're going to be taught certain things along the way but the kind of things that are game changers along the way that no one's going to teach you um first one would be don't give a fuck what anyone else thinks because you go on your own path in you know wherever you're going in life so don't give a fuck just focus on you um, second would be, uh, it's like a motto that my old man taught me. It was desire, determination, dedication. Um, 
you know, if you've got a desire to do to do something, be determined to do it and be dedicated into succeeding. Um, you know, like that that's what sort of that little motto got me through through the course. Um third would be uh when you think you when you think you're done, as in you're gonna you're gonna fuck it, you think you're gonna that's it, you've got nothing else to give. You're probably only halfway, you're halfway through, you're only halfway through of what you can actually give. That, yeah. that that's that's my big ones I've took away from my uh, experience. Yeah, I think I think you and I obviously are in a in a sort of privileged position that we talk to each other quite a lot and and also I mean if you our social media sort of platforms kind of drive home those points, but from an, a 9FNK perspective, we you know, we talk about ego and we talk about it as a tool and and the fact that most people see it as like as a negative a negative thing or that he's got a big ego whereas we look at it of like yeah okay you shouldn't have you shouldn't be so such a big ego that you can't take another person's point on board but you shouldn't be so weak and so driven by other people and the fear of like not living up to their expectations or coming up short that you're crippled and you don't push forward and for for something which i think is like you were saying you know don't give a fuck i don't like i don't care like at the end of the day if you're going to let your ego cripple you to the point where you're not going to volunteer something you obviously care way too much about what everybody else thinks at that point and yeah. um we talk i know we put it into like one term and whatever you know it drops in our hashtags and stuff but like and there's some good books um that we talk about like the growth mindset thing. And I think your dad was obviously a pioneer there, you know, with his, with his terms, because if you can, if you can continue to tell yourself that it's, it's not over, you know, this is only, you know, keep that drive and that determination, that desire to su succeed as opposed to like the, what's it? Well, that's all I have, or, you know, I, I'm never going to make this or whatever. And you you start thinking in the negative or or telling yourself that's just the who I am. It's like, well, no, that's not true. It's been proven that you can completely reshape your mind over and over and over again. And like you were talking about, like men in particular, that leap in the in your mid twenties is is a huge a huge thing. Um, I wish I'd you know I wish I knew that was coming. I wish someone <laughs> when I was like 18 had told me like, don't worry, like the reason the girls are so far ahead of you is basically they're already 25 or 18 or the same, you know, they have the same chemicals and the same, their, their brain set up like five years or so maybe more six, seven years ahead of ours. And then you start playing catch up as a man, which is fantastic. But I think an interesting one for me though is as well, is like, we're stronger together. Like I, I couldn't be as successful as I am today is if I didn't learn how good everybody else was at doing stuff and that i don't have the answer like particularly with you and i like and the relationship we, we we've developed it's uh it's easy for me to hand stuff off to you because i don't even i don't even consider getting into it anymore whereas um when i was a lot younger i'd have wanted to know like every day like what's this what's that explain this explain that whereas i'm like on the surfaces of things I guess it's knowing how long you've been doing what you've been doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, and I'm it's just a, like yeah, that trust, tr that trust element in it. Yeah, I mean, I, like, there's no way 
that um, that side of our house would be as strong as it is if we hadn't, if I, if I hadn't just given that up. Do you know what I mean? And just gone, hey, you tell me. Um, and I think being stronger together is hugely important. You know, people have these WhatsApp groups that they're on and they chat and they talk and that's such, such a such a healthy out, if you know what I mean, as opposed to being trapped on your own. Yeah. I, I find that our community is, it's really good at it most of the time. And I'm really, and the one thing that I hate is when your mindset locks down I'm off on a tangent here. Um, when your mindset locks down to the point of this is who I am, this is the way I am, and you start to disregard the community you've come from, because that I've started to talk to old friends that I hadn't talked to, you know, for a year. And I'll talk to them once a week, once a month, this, that, and the other, and seeing what they're doing. And it's changed, it changes me. It makes my life so much easier and me so much more productive that I have that it just reminds me of the mindset and the position and the, the community that I came from. Mm. And I, I feel really, really privileged to have, to have been part of it and to still, to know that those ties won't go away, which is, yeah. which is great. Um, what's your funniest dit? Obviously, OPSEC aside, but like, you know, what's your funniest dit one time you're away, that one time when Mikey fucked up or somebody else did something amazing? when you were away oh, fucking hell. Um, I know the list is long but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well I mean the, the fucking the one that I think a lot of people find because I'm known for having no filter with Black Whip back in the day if it were um, so when I came to leave um, one of my old squadrons I had a lot of phones out with people with because I just started speaking my own mind my um, old squadron, Mark Sergeant Major at the time, was like, he was like, uh, he was like, Lance Carter Page, you've been a, you've been a pain in my ass all the time you've been here. I was like, well, I said, I'm gone soon, sir. And he, I said, you get me a leaving gift. And he's like, yeah, if you want one. And I turned and said, it better not be one of those shitty squadron plaques. <laughs> and lo and behold, I never got a fucking, never got a leaving gift. But uh, <laughs> 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 it was one of those squadron plaques. And my mates were just like, oh, mate, fucking hell, good job you're leaving. Um, but uh, the, the, I mean, the most craziest time was when I was on um, exercise with Fort Fire Commando and uh, 29 Palms uh, doing like the live fire exercise out there. Uh, they all went out in, the, out in the piss in this bar called the Blood Strikes Bar or whatever. All hell broke loose, everyone started scrapping and then all the fixtures got ripped off the wall, people beating each other up and I was outside and six blokes had been arrested with broken noses. And then one of the coppers pulled out his mag light and turned around and said to one of the, um, I think it was either the Marines or one of the army commando lads, turned and said, I'm going to put you in a fucking hospital. And I was like, right, Roger, time for me to leave. And there was attack dogs. There was, you know, red lasers, uh, laser sights off fucking tasers flinging everywhere. It's like, this is going to, hell's going to break loose in a minute. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to leave before. Either I get a chunk ripped out of me by a Malinois or both, I get tasered as well. So, yeah, we all just, uh, I decided to leave with this other US Marine and just go get some food and go back. But yeah, that day lives in, um, lives in infamy amongst their uh, 4 5 Commando, who were there, you know, the subsequent um, uh, live fire exercise after that. The guys were getting gated and stuff like that because of all the shenanigans that went down. 
well. <laughs> just cause a incident, international incident when you go away. Classic. Yeah. Brit, Brits can't be told, <laughs> let free anywhere. Um, I know it, we were talking about this prior to me hitting record, but as it's the JTAP podcast, when you look back on your time in the military and we were talking about like niches and I, and I even alluded to the fact that some engine kind of engineering isn't really understood. I tell you what, you know, p being a PTI I definitely isn't understood because you guys have so many niches um, in there. But like my first question is what were your interactions with JTAX or the fires community as in like um, air crew or um, those kind of, that kind of stuff or indirect fires or JTAX in your, in your time in. Or oh, in the, in the engineers. Uh, yeah. Oh, um, I think the first one I come across, it was a, it was a power edge lads. Um, he was just, he had a cool, a cool call sign. I think it was Widowmaker. It's not, it's not anyway, but uh, he was, yeah, had a cool call sign. I was like, what is that? And he told, someone told me, what he was he was just cutting around a cool kit and then um and then i remember one day uh we were out i mean i didn't have to fire a shot in anger in afghan because the red power reg did such a good job of providing a ring of steel but obviously the catch to that is they got absolutely malleted but uh i mean one day we, we were clearing a uxo pit and um we heard we heard a contact off in the village um probably about 800 meters away and then the next thing I know, the heavy weapons are going off. The next thing I know is A-10s are coming in. And I'm like, fucking hell, I'm going to call them in. And then uh, that's like my first hearings of, you know, JTACs and stuff like that in that sense. But then throughout the rest of my engineering time, um, when I came back from Afghan doing all my time and that, I deployed out to um, Cyprus for two years. Then I went to training range for two years and obviously transferred to the core. But I've had more interactions with since my time in the PT court with uh, JTAX and that kind of thing in the sense of um, I met a few RAF regiment uh, geezers at 2-9 the other day while I was on placement who were all JTAX as well. Um, you know, I didn't know like what the JTAC community was like. I thought, you know, the army did army JTAC and stuff and, you know, vice versa. But no, like they had at 2-9, they had obviously JTAC PIDs and it was filled by, you know, Marines, RAF, army you know everyone so it's, it was like all right quite a good exposure to to that community side of life in the sense of like it's it's not like you know you separate into your, your separate teams if you will in the sense of army navy air force you're just thrown into a pool if you will and going right yeah we'll just use you guys you guys are gonna are gonna do it all uh, for us but uh, in a good friend of mine was a mortar fire controller um he he left um, he left the power rage. I met him while I was in Cyprus. He was uh, very good at his job as well uh, on Herrick. But that's my only massive main exposure really to the fires community in that sense. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that we we still get right heavily is that we keep them. It's from mixed cap badge for a start, and uh, and secondly that we try to keep the training centralized in as much as like it's one it's one skill for all as opposed to like running lots of little separate schools under different cat badges um because obviously the um sort of more uniformed you can be in any skill set the easier it's it's going to be when you're when you're performing it my, my second question is obviously you joined um 
as a PTI because you had an argument with a guy one time. But that being said, it's a huge scope after that, right? Like it's not that you go and you do PTI course and then you come back and you're a unit PTI and you're expected to do some things. But then when you get promoted again, it completely changes the scope, right? Yeah, so for me, um, uh, yeah, so I mean, I transferred the PT core, did a nine month transfer course. Uh, that te- like that's sort of like teaching you to, well, it's meant to teach you running a mainstream gym, so it's running unit PT that people would turn up to, and then the other streams you've got a adventure training instructor, um, and you've got exercise rehabilitation instructor, which is what I, the path I've chosen that I'm currently on now, uh, doing the course now. Uh, so once you pick that stream, you'll stay there as a sergeant and a staff sergeant really um and then you'll you can uh, so for example an eri can dip out of the ri world back into you know mainstream pt taking pt role if they want to then come back in to the eri world or you can stay solely eri carder and same with the atis you can stay solely ati you can dip in and out as well and uh, but it's when you hit like the warrant officer ranks that you like you start going into more management uh it like you know um either brigade level or you know um in the center uh, like sometimes really big garrison unit level that type of thing but you don't um practice uh the shop floor stuff anymore it's more management that's when that's when you sort of step away from your trade if you will yeah if um if you sort of had to like knowing what you know now if if someone's like sort of stuck on their own at this time period in the interesting world that we're living in what kind of things would you tell them to sort of, the world is like you know pretty much anyone that's listening to this is going to be in the same sort of community as and they're going to be in the same sort of global it's not a global lockdown but you know a place where they're stuck on their own little island inside their houses or stuck on their own little island inside their town where they can get to, maybe they can get to a gym, maybe they can get to restaurants and stuff, but it, it's all varying levels of the same thing, right? What couple of bits of advice do you think you would give people trending towards the summer now to help them out? Well, as in uh, like uh, physical training wise? Um... Well, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, sort of give it, give it sort of, three points you know mental well-being maybe physical health being connected to that maybe and then you know some other just sort of sage stuff that you've 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 been practicing yourself Um, so for me i just focus on things that i can control so in the sense when lockdown happens like i knew i was going to get to a gym so i was going right what can i do that i'm going to be consistent at so i looked at consistency is key so i was like right i'll focus on my nutrition because i can control that um, and I went, I'll focus on just, just training. So I set myself in the, like the first lockdown, the early days and everything was completely closed. I was like, right, okay, what I'll do is yeah, I'll get up on the morning, be, have a routine. So I basically adopted FOB routine from, from, you know, the, the off days and went, right, I'll do, I'll train in the morning, half an hour. And I said, I'll just like, I'd use my Garmin watch my heart rate monitor. And I was like, right minimum burn 300 calories just doing a workout just throw something together you know because i've got dumbbells and stuff i was like throw something together do a workout and that's the aim of the game and then control my nutrition uh so that sort of put me in good stead so in a trifecta if you will it was control the things you can control have a routine and you know just be uh consistent at it 
and that's what they were the three things that got me through through the first lockdown of having having that you know the routine was the big one though having some sort of routine because humans are creatures of routine it's it's gonna it's gonna board you well you know getting up at the same time every morning no matter what day it is you know making your bed on the morning you know then doing a bit of phase having a shower get changed at breakfast having the same routine you're going you you'll utilize your day well and then plan things to do i we always plan things to do going right you know, because I've got kids, we're like, right, we'll take the kids out. We'll go outside for a couple of hours today, right? Then we'll have to do something in the evening. Always filled the day. There was not much blank space, if you if you will. Yeah, I mean, blank space is dangerous. It's it, it's easier to start, you let a little bit of it creep in, then a bit more of it creeps in, a bit more of it creeps in. And uh, yeah, I, I like I like that one. You know, set set a routine because even in like forget all of this, like the, the world we're living in now, but like it's very easy to be all over the place and to be like reactive to stuff. You know, if you have a, a plan with, you know, general plan of like where I'm going this week, where I'm going the next two weeks, this, that, and the other, it doesn't have to be like lock hard in, at least you have somewhere to go. And I don't mm. think it, I don't think it has to be as grandiose as, uh, as people think it's like, do something today that just makes you a little bit better than you were yesterday you know yeah. um i'm definitely stealing this from somebody else but it's um like make a deal with yourself it's like okay if you do this thing i'll take you for a coffee you know to yourself say that's you internally go what do you want like what do you like and it's like well I, I really like espresso or i really like this and you're like okay cool well if you get up this morning you do your 30 minutes of training after you've been for a shower i'll treat you to a coffee do you know what i mean you're a better person than you were yesterday. And okay, maybe you had to bribe yourself like a small child, but the one, the worst thing you could do is not give yourself the coffee and obviously, and then start cleaning or something, but because then you, th yeah. then you don't trust yourself and you think you're, you're, you've just lied to yourself. But do you know what I mean? I think if you do, people look at these, like you were saying, you were only doing, which is probably quite small for you, like 30 minutes at this point, but because it was consistent and it was part of the routine, it's much more healthier for your mind than this grandiose plan of like, I'm going to run, when I come out of lockdown, I'm going to run the London marathon and you've never, and you haven't ever run a mile in your life. Mm. Well, it's like, well, Hey guys, you know, one mile is closer to a marathon than no miles or one push up is closer to 10 push ups than zero push ups. So, mm what am I going to do today? I'm going to, I've never done a push up tour in my life. Okay, cool. Do one push up, however you can do it. And then tomorrow do one push up and then, the, and then build that consistency. And it's like, after two weeks, you're probably doing two or three, but do you know what I mean? I'm, I, I'm taking it down to its lowest sort of common denominator. But what you said about setting a routine and being consistent, is far more productive and healthy than, coming up with some unattainable goal and trying to do it tomorrow yeah tomorrow absolutely. never comes right yeah 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 mikey i really appreciate it we're we're pushing on into like a good good 40 minutes there um thanks for coming on have you got any closing thoughts sort of like across the whole community you know serving veteran you know civilian people with the same sort of like world as us what are your sort of closing thoughts um Closing thoughts would be uh, always, like you say, always push for that one percent better every day um, with whatever you're doing, whatever it may be. If it's you know making a Hornby train set, be one get that Hornby train set one percent better that next day, all the way down to you know if you're 
working on a range or whatever, make your weapon skills that one percent better every day, and then you'll see, you know, three hundred sixty-five days a year, three hundred sixty-five percent increase, hopefully. And um, yeah, uh, if guys like need any sort of advice on you, you know nutrition, physical training, uh, and soon to be rehab, to give us uh, give us a shout. I'm always here to help you know, and help each other. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely stronger together. And uh, anyone that's listening, don't be afraid to uh, reach out. You can obviously, um, I mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, but reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. Uh, Mikey's always available through uh, our Forge page on, on Instagram. Um, again, I'm on the main site. Um, you can hit us up, both of us up through the website or whatever, and we'll, and we'll get back to you. So um, thanks, Mikey. Appreciate it. No drama, buddy. Thank you, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen. All our podcasts sit on the Nine Foot Night Killer Collective, Soul Feed, Forge Not Made, and the JTAP podcast. Take some time, maybe listen to one of the other podcast series that you're not listening to, and give us your feedback. All these things only happen because of the Nine Foot Night Killer community, and we really appreciate them. Thank you, everybody, for listening.